Welcome to New Creation, a home for the creative community of Los Angeles. For more information, visit our website at newcreationla.com. And now, the sermon. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to him, he sent them to Joppa. Acts 10, 1 through 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The most segregated hour in America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Do you know who said that? Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He said that in 1963, and it is still just as true 60 years later. And today's, uh, today's passage speaks directly to that issue. And so we are going through the book of Acts right now. Our series is to the end of the earth. And uh, we've seen that Jesus said in Acts 1 that you will receive power by the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's our theme verse. And so Jesus said that his gospel would spread throughout the world. It's not for one culture. He is not for one culture, one nation, one tongue. But the gospel of Jesus is for every tribe, tongue, and nation that Jesus is Lord of all. And so we've been seeing the spread of the gospel in the previous chapters of Acts, and today's passage is actually the first time that we, need, uh, that we now see it spread to the Gentiles. That is people who are not Jewish. And so with that, let's dig into the story. I want to take a look uh, once again at the first two verses of Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. And so let's talk about this place, Caesarea, a little bit. It is the seat of Rome of the Roman government in Judea, in the land of God's people. And it's about 30 miles north of Joppa, which is our other location in the story today. And we get uh, this man named Cornelius. We're introduced to him, and he is a Gentile. So he is not 
Jewish. We're told that he is a Roman centurion. Now, what that means was he was kind of a battalion leader. And so it meant that he was uh, in charge of 100 men. And so in the ranks, you would have uh, these um, cohorts that existed of six different groups of 100. And so you kind of have six leaders over each group, and then there's the cohort leader. The cohort that he's a part of is the Italian cohort. And then if you have 10 cohorts, that would be a legion. All right, so he's kind of a captain, right? He's leading over 100 different men. And he is described as a God-fearer. And so what that means is that he holds some Jewish beliefs. He prays. He gives alms to the poor, but he's not an official convert. He has not been circumcised. He does not adhere to the Jewish ritual laws, diet, purity laws. And so uh, there's no uh, mention here at all even of him participating in synagogues. So he, he has these beliefs, though, that he holds to. And his kind of openness for a Roman soldier toward Jewish beliefs is very rare. It's really rare. And so, um, like I said, he's devout in prayer and in generosity, but there's a problem. Here's his problem. He knows about God, but he's not had an experience of God. And so, if you know about God, it can actually lead to a life of burden, of, okay, here's rules that I know. Rules equal burden. But experience, experiencing God equals joy and freedom. And so God is going to reveal himself to Cornelius in the unfolding spread of his kingdom to the Gentiles. And so he's given a vision. Let's take a look at verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. So imagine, he, he has knowledge of God, no experience, and out of the blue, Cornelius, whoa, right? He's terrified. An angel calls him by name, and he asks, what is it, Lord? And the angel says, your prayers, your almsgiving has ascended to God. God sees you. And now he's going to commission you. Let's take a look at the next couple of verses, five and six. And now send man to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. So he tells Cornelius, all right, go get Peter. This is the apostle Peter. And he even tells him where to go. Here's where you're going to find him. He's at Peter the Tanner's house. Go get him. And so what Cornelius does is he sends two of his servants and one of his soldiers to Joppa. 
and he gives them all the details of what happened. And he tells them, go get Peter, bring him back to me. Now the scene kind of shifts. So we've had kind of the camera on Cornelius. Now we're going to shift the camera 30 miles away to Joppa, where Peter is. And so he's there. He's praying. He gets hungry, maybe like us. He's been doing a little fasting. And he goes into this trance-like state, and he has a vision of God. Let's take a look at verses 11 through 13, uh, 10 through 13, and see that vision. So he, Peter, fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, and there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. That's not strange at all, is it? <laughs> he gets that like, what on earth does that mean? He sees the heavens open up. So whatever is being communicated to him is from God. The heavens are opening. And he sees this giant thing that's like a sheet, almost like a sail. It's got four corners. It's coming down over the earth. And in it are all the unclean animals. That is, animals that Jewish people cannot eat. They're not allowed to eat. And then he hears a voice and it says, rise, kill, sacrifice, and eat. Was this like some kind of a test? Right? No. He says, no, I'm not going to do that. It's an emphatic no. In the Greek, it's, it's, it's a double no. No, no, I'm not going to do that. I have never done that. I've never eaten unclean food. And I never will. And so then the voice responds to him, verses 15 and 16. The voice came to him again a second time and says, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So when we see something happen three times, that is repetition. That is Hebrew repetition. That is an exclamation point. There's no denying it. What does it mean? Do you ever have a strange dream and you wake up and you're like, what on earth was that? Well, that is Peter right here. He has his dream and he does not understand. Well, Cornelius, his men arrive just as Peter is trying to discern what is going on here. He's trying to make sense of it, and in the process of making sense, he, he hears a knock on the gate, basically. Let's take a look at the encounter, verses 19 and 20. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, 
Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation. Why? For I have sent them. So Peter sees a vision from heaven. He hears a voice. Now he hears the Holy Spirit say, go with these guys. Go without hesitation because I am the one that has sent them. And so Peter goes out to meet these guys and he says, hey, I'm Peter. I'm the one you're looking for. How can I help you? And so they tell him about Cornelius. They tell him about the vision that Cornelius had and how they were sent to bring him back, back to his house, because he wants to hear what you have to say. Now, the interesting thing here is that Jewish tradition did not allow for entering in to a house of a Gentile weren't allowed to do it because it would make you unclean, especially since unclean food is prepared and served in that household. We see this practice actually in the arrest of Jesus. Let's take a look at John 18, 28. So this is the Jewish people. They led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters, this Gentile, so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover, right? So you see this tradition, do not enter into a Gentile's house. And here, Peter is being told, go to this Gentile's house. I've actually sent people to bring you there. Very fascinating. So now, the vision is starting to click. It's starting to make sense. God is not just making these foods clean. He is making, more importantly, the people who eat it clean. And so Peter can go with a clean conscience into the house of the Gentiles. And so... As I said, it's a 31-mile hike. And so by the time they get there, Peter says, hey, you know, it's too late. We're not going to make it all the way back to Joppa tonight. So you guys can stay here. So he welcomes these Gentiles into his place, into his quarters, and he hosts them. And then they leave the next day for Joppa. They head out for the 31 miles. Peter We're told in uh, chapter 11 that there's six other Jewish Christians that go with him, and then these three men, the two servants and the soldier from Cornelius. All right, so now we'll switch the camera again back to Caesarea. They get there, and Cornelius has gathered all of his close friends and family to listen to Peter. He gets there, and Cornelius falls down at Peter's feet in homage to worship, right? And Peter says, "Uh uh-uh, don't do that. I am just a man. I am not divine. Stand up. Don't worship me. Don't do that. And so Peter enters in, and he starts by just addressing the elephant in the room. Let's take a look at Acts 10, 28 and 29. 
So, and he, Peter, said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I ask then, why you sent me? It is just teed up for Peter to give the good news. And so he preaches to Gentiles for the first time. Let's take a look at Peter's sermon. How's he going to start? So I sent, let's see here. I'm going to jump ahead one. So he said, uh, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. It's an opening line of the sermon. God shows no partiality. Uh, the NIV says God shows no favoritism, no partiality, no favoritism. God doesn't distinguish how he'll respond to certain people, but he is Lord of all. And so he's telling them everyone, every tribe, tongue, and nation has the same potential access to God through faith in Jesus. God doesn't distinguish on the basis of being a man or a woman. Uh, he doesn't distinguish on culture or nationality, no favoritism in those places. He doesn't distinguish on social status between rich or poor. No one group has privileged access or rights. And this is mind-blowing to the Jewish Christians with Peter. He is Lord of all. So what does it mean? It means that you don't have to be Jewish in order to be a part of the family of God. It also means this, that Jewish practice will not separate the church into different groups. Ethnicity will not separate the church. Amen. Yes, right? That is worth crying out yes for. All right. So he reviews the gospel message with them. He says, you know what? God sent the word to Israel, offering peace, shalom through Jesus Christ. And he says, you know, you've heard what happened throughout all of Judea. The news of what Jesus had done and what had happened had traveled all throughout the land. They had heard, they knew about what happened. Peter says he was anointed by the Spirit with power that was evidenced in the good that he did. So here's Cornelius with this set of rules, I need to do good. And Peter's coming to him with, let me show you about the one who has done good for you. But this Jesus was put to death. He was crucified. 
But God raised him from the dead. He is alive and we are his witnesses. We ate and drank with him, Peter says. And then this Jesus commanded us to go and preach the good news. And Peter says, that is why I am here. And whoever believes in his name, who trusts in his goodness, will receive forgiveness of sins. So what he's telling him in this group of people is that the gospel message contains an opportunity for peace. Peace with God, and then by extension, peace with one another. God brought peace through what Jesus accomplished, and Jesus is described as Lord of all including people of all nations, just like Cornelius and his family and his friends listening. So Peter doesn't even get to finish the sermon. Let's see here. There we go. Peter doesn't even get to finish his sermon. Uh, As he is preaching, in the middle of his preaching, the Holy Spirit falls upon the Gentiles. It's like Pentecost all over, but now for the Gentiles. And so they begin speaking in tongues and praising God, and there is a visible sign that they had genuine saving faith, a sign that God has received them into the covenant family and that they have never had to follow any of the Mosaic law. They're not circumcised. They haven't followed the dietary laws, the sacrifices. And yet here we see they are equals with the Jewish Christians. And the men who came with Peter are astonished. We never imagined. These people are people we have despised for our whole lives And now they have become brothers and sisters to us. We've done everything we could to avoid them so that their uncleanness wouldn't contaminate us. And now God has made them clean and he's brought them into the family. And so Peter says, let's baptize them. Who can withhold the water of baptism from these people. And so they're baptized. And then Peter stays with them for three days. Now in that three days, I'm sure that Peter did a lot of teaching, but guess what? Peter also learns from them. He learns from their experience. Their experience shows Peter a bigger view of God. And that is why diversity in the church is so important, because we can learn something of God in the way that he reveals himself to people who are different from us, different culturally, different ethnically, different socially, different generationally, and then the gospel becomes even more beautiful. Now, Cornelius knew about God, and it moved him to duty. 
to pray and to give. But to know God in relationship, he must experience the Son of God through faith. Cornelius thought that the way to God was his own goodness, and what he experienced is the way to God is resting in the goodness of Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus is the good. He is the only one in history who is perfectly good. His works are good. He heals the sick. He feeds the hungry. He forgives the sinner. He raises the dead. He dies the death we deserve. And he raises from the grave in victory. Undoing the curse of this world. His works are good. And you know what else is good? It's his words. The words of Jesus comfort the hurting. The words of Jesus calm the seas. The words of, of Jesus invite the outcasts. The words of Jesus restores the broken. So his works are good. His words are good. And his very presence is good. Wherever he goes, the kingdom of God invades this earth. You know what else is good? Is his motivations. Gosh, if I think about my motivations, even on my best day, not pure, right? Even being up here, there's, there's a, a, a part of it that's pure, but there's also a part, oh, I want people to like me. I want people to say something nice, right? But the motivations of Jesus are 100% pure. You know what motivates him? Is that the glory of God would be revealed. That is goodness. His life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, all perfect goodness. And so the question is, when you one day stand before God, do you want to stand before him on your goodness? Or do you want to stand on the goodness of Jesus? I don't want to come anywhere near what I think is my goodness. I want to go him. I'm with him. Here's the other beautiful part of the gospel. Is that Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit and he brings his Holy Spirit in us so that we can do good. And when we experience the goodness of Jesus for us, it then transforms us. We are made into new creations. We are given new hearts. Jesus works about his goodness in us. And that is why the Holy Spirit falls upon all all who trust in Jesus alone by faith. When we do that, the Spirit of God is then our helper to live our lives fueled by Jesus, to live our lives having peace with God and peace with one another, to live as a united people, not divided by the things that divide this world. 
not divided by the thing that this world divides over. And so in these things, when we're united like this, we become witnesses of Jesus. Our lives become evidence of the gospel. And so I want to leave us with this. I would love, I would love, love, and Jesus would love for Martin Luther King Jr.'s quote, his observation to become untrue in Los Angeles. And so how is that going to happen? Well, one, I think that means that we need to be culturally welcoming. When I was uh, doing my seminary degree in St. Louis, I had so many conversations with black friends who would say, you know what? When we go to the churches we grew up in, we feel culturally at home. But when we go to these Presbyterian churches, we don't. We feel theologically at home here, but culturally out of place. And when we go to the churches we grew up in, we feel culturally at home and theologically out of place. We never feel at home. Like, oh my goodness. A lot of other churches that I've been a part of kind of put it out like this. Hey, we welcome everyone, but this is going to look very white, upper middle class. But anybody else who wants to be a part of that, you're welcome. But that is not beautiful diversity. We can't change the gospel. You don't see Peter doing it. It's the same gospel, but he speaks the truth and love, and he speaks it to who's in front of him. And so the goal of diversity is that we understand the gospel better. We understand it better if we can see it through other cultural and social lenses. It will become more beautiful to us. Now, you heard earlier, we're going to take a team to Mexico in June to build a house. And so as we go, we do not go as saviors. We are going to go as students to learn something about following Jesus as it's evidenced in another place. We will learn about joy and contentment from people who live in poverty. We will go as students. And so when we can live this out, when we can have this diversity that welcomes different cultures, that welcomes different people groups, generationally, ethnically, socioeconomically, the gospel will become more beautiful. And when we do that, we will be bearers of this good news. When we model unity and diversity, we demonstrate Jesus is Lord of all. So how can you have black, white, Hispanic, Asians all in one church? How can you have rich and poor all together? How can you have Republicans and Democrats all in the same place in beautiful unity only by the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for this word. 
It is your living word to us, and I pray that you would keep it close to our heart. There is so much challenge in this word, but Lord, thank goodness we are not left to ourselves to face it, that you are with us, that you have given us your spirit. And so, Lord, help us to be a unified people. Teach us about what it looks like to welcome all the cultures around us. We live in a city that is so diverse. How can we welcome so many different people into your house, into your life, into your gospel? Give us wisdom. Give us patience. Give us perseverance. And Lord, remind us that we don't do this alone, but you have called us to community to do it together. And so we give you thanks in the name of Jesus and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this sermon and encourage you to become a regular member of our online community. To find out more about the church, visit our website at newcreationla.com.